Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, July 29th. The cucumbers have been great this summer, but we're still waiting on the tomatoes to turn red. They're slow this year. It's also been a down year for zucchinis. Our squirrels seem to have developed a taste for them. What is up, though, is the industry chatter about two big moves earlier this month by two consumer tech companies into healthcare, and that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. First is Apple releasing what is essentially its strategic plan for healthcare, and second is Amazon's proposed purchase of One Medical, the direct primary care company. To give us their take on what these moves mean for healthcare and healthcare consumers, are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Murchison, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm delighted to be back, Dave. You know, there's nothing quite like getting up at 5 a.m. on a Friday to prep for our podcast. It's absolutely exhilarating. (laughs) I think it's still dark out at 5. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? Well, I had to escape to San Francisco to find some relief from the heat. It's the only place in the U.S. I think that's cool. And I'm having a classic healthcare issue this week, trying to reschedule my daughter's dermatology appointment. And my dermatologist will only do so over the phone and is now only taking messages. And guess what? <laughs> I don't have an appointment. <laughs> oh, They call it progress, right? Okay, well, now before uh, we talk about Apple and Amazon, Dave, you haven't been on the show for the past five weeks. You went to a writer's camp, and then you had some business travel and some board meetings, and then you went to the North Pole on vacation. I mean, I know you wanted to get away from us for a while, but that was a little extreme. Uh, Tell us about your time off. Well, it's good to see you can find a message in all that, Dave. The Colgate Writers Conference was both intense and immensely beneficial as I'm starting to write book three, Healthcare Over the Rainbow, which I want to appeal to a broader audience than my previous two books. You know, and I met people there like me who write to try and figure things out. I really found my people. And we uh, collectively, I think, make the world a better place. But regarding our long-planned trip to the Arctic Circle, we never made it. Europe is a mess. Two days before we left, British Airways canceled the Oslo, the London leg of our return trip. That took seven hours and a pile of dough to fix. Then the day before, literally the day before, we learned that SAS Airways had filed for bankruptcy and that its pilots had gone on strike. (laughs) That canceled our flight from Oslo to Svalbard, which is inside the Arctic Circle. And on top of all that, both Terry and I contracted COVID uh, last one to fall, about a week before we were supposed to take off. (laughs) So we said, you know, the universe has sent us enough signals. So rather than scramble even more, we decided to take advantage of our great trip insurance to get most of our money back and had an impromptu staycation, which included Lots of sleeping in, theater, reading, great food, and some time in Makatawa, Michigan, our happy place. And that all that was fantastic. At the same time, guys, we have a lot of unused Arctic travel gear. So if you know anyone who's interested, <laughs> send them my way. <laughs> yeah, they probably have a no return policy on that stuff. That's 
walking sticks, goggles, boots, layers of clothing, whatever you need. Wow. Well, how are you feeling? I never really felt much for COVID. It, it hit Terry harder. So, But we both did test positive like a week before we were supposed to go. <laughs> All right. You did win the pool. So congratulations on that. And it's great to have you back. All right, let's start with Apple. The company released a 59-page report dealing how it plans on becoming a healthcare company by following two tracks. The first track is direct-to-consumer with personal health and fitness devices and medical technologies like the Apple Watch. The second track is, quote, direct collaboration, close quote, with the medical community. That direct collaboration comes in four flavors, building tools to enable researchers to make new scientific discoveries, helping strengthen the physician-patient relationship with meaningful data, collaborating with health organizations to promote healthy lifestyles at scale, and supporting public health and government initiatives. A pretty lofty set of goals there. Dave, you call yourself an Apple head. What do you think of your iPhone and laptop maker becoming a healthcare company? Where do you think Apple will have the most success? And if it is successful, who wins and who loses? So much to say here. It's hard to know where to start. First, it's good to see this future-looking report from Apple. It's the first we've heard from them on healthcare since that high-profile investigative report last fall in Business Insider by Blake Dodge. Her report cited bitter internal disputes, high-level resignations, a lack of strategic focus, and a backlash against those questioning the company's vision and progress in health. So I think they've gotten back on track. Apple must be annoyed, though, by Amazon. Amazon made its big one medical acquisition the same week they were rolling out this huge report. And I think it's fair to say that they didn't win the news cycle. It's also ironic that tech companies like Apple assert that their technologies are key to better individual and community health and well-being when we all know that technology is a major contributor to more sedentary and disconnected lifestyles that in turn trigger increasing levels of chronic disease and mental health challenges. Despite all that, Apple has been very high-minded and public in expressing its belief in the company's ability to develop technologies and applications that advance health and healthcare. In 2019, Apple CEO Tim Cook observed in an interview that Apple's biggest ultimate contribution to humanity will be in health. Not any bigger goal than that. So in this report, Apple lays out a cogent path for moving forward on this big goal while acknowledging that it's still, uh, quote, in early innings. I like the separation into the two broad categories of effort, empowering users and supporting the health ecosystem. The first area of focus is on health and the second is on health care. That's important because these are very different businesses. Prevention and treatment don't mesh easily together. My guess is that the health applications in the Apple Watch will struggle to achieve critical mass across the chasm, so to speak, but they will eventually get there. And once they do, health applications will integrate organically into our lives in the same way Amazon fundamentally has changed the way we conduct commerce. There isn't going back. And if that turns out to be true, that will be a monumental accomplishment. And I believe it will happen within the next five to 10 years. At the same time, Apple's contention that their watch will become, again, in their words, quote, the intelligent guardian for users' health, close quote, 
may be true, but makes me a bit squeamish, even with all of their emphasis on privacy. The real power in Apple's vision, however, is the ability to collect data and conduct research that ultimately enables the healthcare ecosystem to diagnose conditions at the pre-disease state and enable earlier and more effective treatment interventions. Combine that with the development of Framingham-like longitudinal health studies with full genomic, epigenomic, and proteomic sequencing, and we're on the cusp as a society of achieving breathtaking improvement in advancing preventive care. If true, and I believe it is true, that will be a major shock to the system as preventive care, currently 2% of our national health care spend, grows to 10, 15, or even 20% over the next decade. Here's my final observation. Given its tech platform, capital, and analytic prowess, I wonder if Apple might ultimately choose to enter the health insurance business by exploiting its ability to make better predictions regarding individual susceptibility to disease and injury, and then by partnering with organizations to minimize them. Interesting. That'll be quite a medical loss ratio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks, Dave. That's a great prediction. So, Dave, my question really, I'm I'm shocked person by the timing of these two announcements. It's quite something, but I'm wondering what you think about the timing yourself and the vast differences in these strategies and what it says about what companies have learned about data versus care provision. And, you know, I've heard some people talk about Amazon as the blockbuster acquisition. Mm -hmm. How do you think about what companies have learned? Well, uh, regarding the timing, unless Amazon is infinitely wise and infinitely evil, I I have to believe it was coincidental. I mean, the, the, the deal just happened to happen as Apple was rolling out this big report, although I'm sure the Apple executives are fuming about the timing, but my guess is it's coincidental. But your bigger question is, what does this say about two of the biggest companies in the world making major push into health and healthcare in such different ways? Obviously, Amazon is going hard into direct patient care. I doubt Apple will follow, given their struggles with the Apple clinics. I just don't think that's where they're going to go. On the other hand, I think Apple will do what it says it's going to do, which is pursue consumer technologies in health and then partnerships in medical care, diagnostics, and delivery. And as I just said, I think both of those are potentially very powerful in their ability to aggregate, analyze, and use data to do a much better job of predicting illness and enabling more effective intervention. And then I, maybe I'm crazy here, but I could see Apple disrupting the health insurance business much more so than the healthcare delivery business, as I kind of touched on right at the end. Interesting. So uh, no genius bar for chest pain, right? (laughs) Take a number. (laughs) (laughs) There might be an app, but it'll send you somebody else to care for it. Got it. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about Amazon, which made a splash last week, like we talked about, with its proposed $3.9 billion acquisition of One Medical. One Medical is a national membership model direct primary care company with physical locations in nearly 20 metropolitan areas across the country. It also offers 24-7 on-demand virtual care. We know who Amazon is. Julie, what are the drivers or motivations behind this deal? How does it change the digital healthcare landscape? And like the Apple announcement, who wins and who loses if this deal works out? Well, first of all, how much time do we have? 
two minutes. Settle in. (laughs) (laughs) So first, let's talk about the price, which a lot of people aren't talking about. You know, they supposedly, Amazon paid about a 75% premium to the share price on the previous day. And people are talking about that they paid a premium, but that was actually 40% below the 52-week high of 30 bucks and definitely well below the all-time high of 60 bucks. So well, it looks like a premium, Amazon actually just got a screaming deal. At what they say is almost three times 2023 projected revenues, which is a, a low multiple compared to where we were a year ago. And my favorite quote from a Numeroff consultant pretty much sums it up, which says, does it fix everything that's wrong with our healthcare system? No, but they didn't set out to fix our healthcare system. They set out to make some money. <laughs> That's what it's about. You know, on the winner's side, it's Amazon all the way. One Medical is innovative and relatively thought of brand. So that's doing Amazon a lot of good. They also have about 800,000 customers, but Amazon doesn't really care about that. And listen to this. They already have 200 million Americans with an active Prime membership, which is approximately 44% of the country. While HCA, our largest U.S. healthcare system, serves 1% of the country. I mean, that's... Pretty significant consumer power. What they do care about, though, is access to all those employers. So that's huge for them, given the the haven intent in the first place. And Amazon wins by folding these clinics into Amazon Care and tightening that integration between pharmacy and delivery. Their negotiation power around the board could be significant. The one part that I think... I'm not sure who wins with this and who loses, although I'll talk about it. Amazon brings such incredible analytic capabilities and they know so much about us. I mean, their understanding of us is truly unparalleled. They know how to communicate with us and activate us and incentivize us to buy certain things. And honestly, they provide products and services we didn't even know we needed. So they win by using these skills to change our behavior. And just like Dave said about Apple becoming a health insurer, you could imagine a platform for risk-based, value-based care at some point with all they know about us and how to get us to do things. So that's interesting. Also on the win side, when medical gets this capital infusion, I think it probably really needs in this dicey economy. And you know, when you think about the cost of the one medical business model, the customer acquisition is high. So Amazon basically just turns on that consumer spigot and drives Prime members right through on medical. So that's huge for them. And consumers should really win for convenience of care and all the the ease that millennials crave in mobile care. But we may suffer on quality if they don't make quality an important focus. And Amazon has the potential to really jack rates once it gets into this business. And if we've learned anything in primary care, we need to be really thoughtful about our cost of care. And I'm not so sure this is going to help. So taxpayers may really lose. And then I'll just sum up quickly by saying everyone else loses. Traditional providers who aren't digitally ready, primary care offices like my dermatologist, big box retailers who've been relying on easy parking as their shoe in. It's it's all kind of messy out there for everybody else. It's interesting about the prices, right? So once they got you, you got to watch out. Interesting. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? You know, speaking of price and Amazon's market reach, I saw a chart this week that said that Amazon now makes more from advertising than all newspapers in the country combined. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Now, 
I happened to read Amazon Unbound by Brad Stone, which is a great book about the last 10 years of Amazon when they've gotten into entertainment, are now a bigger door-to-door delivery service than UPS, introduced Alexa, I mean, just breathtaking innovation. 407-page book, pretty dense, exactly one paragraph on healthcare. So I, I think Brad's going to have to write a third book. As I'm trying to think about this, Julie, and you know, we're both big One Medical fans. And when I look at the ecosystem broadly, there are many companies that have emerged to provide enhanced primary care services for Medicare Advantage enrollees, including One Medical through its IORA acquisition. Many companies like Oak Street have emerged to provide enhanced care services for dual eligibles, those who qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, so old, poor people. What these programs have in common is government funding. In the commercial market, however, One Medical is the only company I can think of that provides enhanced primary care services at scale on a national platform. Why do you think this is, and does this unique capability provide any competitive advantage to Amazon as it reconfigures its overall healthcare offerings to incorporate One Medical? Gosh, it's a complicated question because, A, I think there's a lot of commercial providers targeting commercial patients who provide value-added services, but you're right, not many or any others at a national scale. It's a vision, but where the synergies are with Amazon is it's a membership model. Dave, you and I pay to be one medical members. So we pay for prime membership. We'll pay one medical for better healthcare. And that better healthcare is not materially better at the end of the day necessarily, right? We just feel like it's better for a number of design reasons. So I think the brand is what that really has become. It's become a great brand for those members who like it. And Amazon wins, you know, all day long for that. So it's an interesting question. I credit Tom Lee, honestly, for just thinking that that was possible on a national scale. Interesting. Thanks, Julie. As you both mentioned, you're both one medical members. As patients, what do you think of the deal, Julie? I can't get enough of this deal from all the things we just talked about, right? I mean, I could be, (laughs) you know, uh, now with Iora, I could be a Medicare member and be with Amazon forever. Like it's cradle to grave now. However, I think it's creaming the simplest off the top. And I worry that you know, they really won't focus on quality or outcomes in the way they should. And I definitely worry about them having access to my data. Yeah, no, oh, great. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Dave, are you cool with Amazon owning your doctor? I am and looking forward to a discount on my annual one medical membership for being a prime member. <laughs> but anyway, more seriously, I think one medical superior in-person and digital interfaces with customers will shape Amazon's overall healthcare business model more than Amazon's platform will reshape One Medical's practices. Although I absolutely agree with Julie that it's going to drive members to One Medical in in a way that. Interesting. So you're, you're sticking with them. Okay. I am. I am until they prove otherwise. You know, and the reason is the service experience is so much better. They're, they run on time. It, it's easy to get your information. You know, at the end of the day, maybe the care isn't that better, but it doesn't take as much time and it's uh, very user-friendly. It feels better. Yeah, it. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, I'm not a one medical member, but if I was, I think the thing that I would worry about most is the privacy and security of, uh, of my personal health information, which Julie's mentioned a few times. I don't want to go to Amazon.com to order ink cartridges and have a pop-up ask me if I want to buy a home colonoscopy kit because I just saw my gastroenterologist. So <laughs> we'll see if that starts happening. What a great discussion. Now let's briefly talk about other news this week. Julie, what other news broke this week that's important to mention? Well, I would focus on monkeypox, but I'm trying to ignore that. <laughs> the one thing I saw that I'm not so sure hit the headlines was a SoftBank-backed company called Elemy, which focused on kids' pretty severe issues. Last valued at just over a billion dollars, laid off all of its employees and abruptly stopped providing in-person services to kids in Illinois and Georgia. And the article talked about you know, these are kids with mental health challenges, a lot of OT issues, and this is a pretty intense model. And the article talked about how a parent found out about this 15 minutes before their visit. So it's it goes to show there's there's some danger in what's happening around some of the PE batch companies. Right. There have been a lot of layoffs uh, lately at a lot of health tech companies. Interesting. I, I missed that story. Thank you. Dave, any other stories we should be talking about today? Well, your former colleague, Melanie Evans, co-authored a blockbuster investigative report on the skimpy charity care nonprofit hospitals provide. Journalism still has an impact, still matters. Hospitals haven't had a terribly effective response. The claim is, well, we do more than they say we do, and they just really don't understand. <laughs> you know how I feel on this topic. I'm sure this is a storyline we'll be following closely in the weeks and months ahead. Right. When they... Uh give away their old computer system to a school and count it as a community benefit, right? Instead of putting it in the dumpsters, right? Yeah, you and I walk that fine line between skepticism and cynicism every day of the week. <laughs> oh, you got that right. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And if you follow our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite streaming service, you'll get notified each time a new episode is available. And don't forget to tell a friend about Foresight Friday Roundup. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Burdup for Foresight Health.